Welcome to the Business Extra podcast. I'm Mustafa Al Rawi, the National's Assistant Editor in Chief. With me is co host and the National's Future Editor, Kelsey Warner. Hi, Kelsey. Hey, Mustafa. So today we're talking about the economic outlook, not just for the Gulf region, but also for the world. And in particular, what I'm interested in knowing about Kelsey is, is how with the rate of economic growth slowing in developed economies, um, according to the World Bank and other global institutions, uh, this region, Saudi Arabia, UAE, other economies are actually growing really, really fast. Um, an obvious uh, pointer to that is the high oil prices we're experiencing. But is that something to be worried about or is it something that we should be pleased about right okay with recession with recession fears looming and oil at 120 dollars plus a barrel and kind of set to stay there where do we get where do we fit in and should we also be worried (laughs) my answer always is yes we should we should (laughs) be vigilant in principle be worried um but hope for the best right right um so with the you know worries about the the ukraine conflict and inflation um, higher interest rates and, and other factors. We're going to discuss all that with Khatija Haq from Emirates MBD. But first, please do subscribe to this show. And if you're on YouTube, ring that bell. Uh, Khatija, thanks for joining us uh, today to talk about uh, the outlook for Gulf economies and, and, and amid a sort of uncertain global environment. Uh, you've been writing for The National recently about how the outlook for um, this region looks pretty good, despite headwinds elsewhere. Are you able to kind of give us a snapshot of, of where we are, both uh, regionally and, and globally? Yes. I mean, thank you very much, first of all, for inviting me onto the show. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, so yes, as you mentioned, um, the outlook for the GCC economies this year looks very constructive. We had a, a good rebound in 2021 from the pandemic. Um, And we're expecting headline GDP growth to accelerate in 2022, even as we see global growth slowing. Now, I think it's important to recognize that because such a lot of the GCC growth still comes from oil and gas, that headline GDP figure is really reflecting a significant increase in oil and gas production in the region. Um, When we look at the non-oil sectors of the economies, we are expecting some slowdown here as well. um, And that is broadly in line with what uh, we're seeing in other parts of the world. Uh, I, I wonder when, when we think about different economies, both in terms of the UAE and, and, and developed markets, we, we think of, of a connectedness, and, and, and certainly the pandemic showed us how how connected we are and, and how much we rely on each other. But it, it, it's feeling like I don't want to use the word decoupling because I don't think that's the case. But certainly, it feels like there's its own story going on in the Gulf at the moment. And as, as somebody that, that's, that's looking at, looking from an economist point of view, is that how you see it, a, a separate story? Or is it just a, a one part of a bigger story? No, it's, it's not a separate story. And as you say, um, we saw very much during the pandemic, um, when the global economy contracts sharply, this region cannot avoid contracting as well. Similarly, the recovery in 2021 was was, uh, in line with the global economic recovery that we were seeing as uh, countries were reopening, economies were reopening, activity was kind of normalizing. um, And that is some of the the drivers of growth in in this region as well. So it's certainly not immune from what's happening in the rest of the world. Um, And that's why I think as we see um, global growth slow, partly because of higher interest rates, partly because of uh, much reduced um, we will see that softer global demand feed through 
to the GCC um, because obviously we have a, a pegged currency, so our interest rates will be rising along with those in the United States. Um, inflation is not something which is limited to developed uh, economies. It's happening uh, to some extent in our region as well. That will impact uh, consumption and household spending. Um, and global trade will also be affected by slower growth. And we are a trade hub. Um, you know, that is a big driver of activity here. So as we see volumes of global trade slow um, over the second half of the year, um, that will also have an impact on activity in our region. So we definitely are not immune um, from what's going on um, in the rest of the world. We spent our way through the pandemic and now it feels like we're belt tightening as we face potential recession. Can you talk a bit about inflation here in our own backyard and where are we seeing it? And to Mustafa's point, are we bucking any trends or are we? is this more of the same from what we're seeing elsewhere? So the inflation that has been grabbing the headlines and causing a lot of financial market volatility has really been um, head inflation in developed economies um, like the United States, like the UK, uh, Europe, and some of the, the other emerging markets. Um, but that's not to say that there's no inflation in the GCC. Uh, when we look around the region, um, so we had uh, Dubai inflation figures for April coming in at around 4.6%. We have inflation in Kuwait at around 4.5%. Got there is in, uh, inflation is at a similar rate. Um, so, yes, it's a lot lower than the 8 to 10% we're seeing in some of the big developed economies, but it's certainly a lot higher than we've been used to over the last several years. Um, and I think, you know, uh, because most of the Gulf countries have kept petrol prices broadly unchanged over the last um, six to nine months, we, that's been one of the reasons why we haven't seen inflation perhaps as high as, uh, as the developed markets. But also, don't forget, during the pandemic, we didn't get the same kind of direct fiscal stimulus to households and businesses in the same way that um, we saw in North America and the United States, for example. Um, we didn't get stimulus checks. We didn't get enhanced unemployment benefits. We didn't get, um, you know, specific loans to small businesses. And all of that drove a very strong rebound in demand in those big economies. And that was one of the reasons why, we, you know, we're now sitting with such high inflation is because the, the demand was outstripping the supply given the disruptions from the pandemic. Because we didn't have that demand-side stimulus in this region, those sort of demand-side inflationary pressures haven't been as strong. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we, we're sitting at a much more moderate rate of inflation. Now, obviously, in the UAE, we have seen petrol prices rise in line with the increase in global oil prices. Um, and that is probably, that has been the big driver of inflation over the last year or so. The other big driver has been food prices. And again, this is related to the um, the war in Ukraine, because that has disrupted the export of quite significant, important agricultural commodities like wheat, like barley, um, corn, sunflower seeds for, for sunflower oil. So um, all of these uh, factors are contributing to global food inflation. And this region is, is definitely not immune from that because, of course, we import a lot of our food requirements. So um, we are necessarily going to be, be paying more, uh, given that the global price uh, has gone up. So is there a logic that if the rate of economic growth is slowing in around the world, certainly in developed economies, that then demand would drop off, whether it's for oil or, or other, other things, um, that then inflation will slow? 
um, as a result of that. Do, do we need, I guess the question is, do we need a cooling off in, in economies right now? Hopefully one that doesn't last too long, but, but something to kind of stall um, this, this, this cycle we're in at the moment. We absolutely do need a cooling um, in in sort of the developed economies. Um, you know, unfortunately, the supply shocks that we've seen have been the main drivers of inflation. So um, energy and food prices have certainly been a very big driver of, in, of inflation. And there's nothing that central banks can do to fix that. I mean, that is a supply issue. But as I said before, in, in the developed markets, at least, the um, strong demand has also been a factor in, in driving inflation to where it is now. And that's where central bank policy can have an impact. And that is what the Fed is trying to achieve by raising rates so quickly and other central banks following as well. So, yes, we, you know, they absolutely do need to cool down some of the demand side. And that, that necessitates a tightening in financial conditions, which means interest rates have to go up. Financial markets have to sell off. Um, uh, that's part of the, the tightening in financial conditions that the central bank will want to see. So in that sense, um, you know, the recession or a slowdown is, is engineered. That is, in fact, what they want to see in order to, to um, take away some of the inflationary pressures that we're seeing. And in order to avoid inflation becoming entrenched. So, you know, I guess the question is, um, is the Fed willing to accept an economy in recession? Would they continue tightening even if they can see that growth is actually starting to contract or the economy is starting to contract? And I suspect um, at this point, the answer would be yes, they probably would tolerate a, a mild recession um, because you know, they, they really want to see inflation coming down. And so far, there's no sign that's happening. So the inflation data that we had out of the US last week um, is another 40-year high. And there had been some expectation that, you know, perhaps inflation had already peaked in April. That clearly is not the case. So they will keep having to tighten monetary policy until they start to see inflation actually fall. And that probably won't happen until late in um, uh, the, the third quarter and, and into Q4. Um, so I think we are in a, in a situation where markets will remain volatile um, and central banks will continue to tighten until they can see results. And that could mean uh, economies in contraction in 2023. I'm wondering, okay, so... The supply chain disruptions appear to be largely behind us, but the picture you're painting right now around food supply disruption, as well as perhaps an oversupply of oil as we begin to contract, as you're predicting, all of these kind of dynamics in play that you're describing do suggest, you know, economic slowdown here. But where will growth come from in the non-oil sector for the UAE? I think we've seen um, you know, boost to tourism, um, aviation, the like. But what are some of the bright spots that we can be pressing on as as it gets bleaker elsewhere? Um, so I don't think we're going to be in an oversupply of oil situation, even with the slowdown in economic activity globally um, in the second half of this year. Most estimates are for the oil market to remain quite tight, and that, of course, is because a lot of the supply that was coming from Russia is not actually available to purchase because of sanctions on Russian oil exports. So effectively, the, the market is, is quite tight. 
Um, so, yes, we are expecting some moderation in oil prices by the end of this year, but we're not looking for an oversupply and then a drop back down to where we were a couple of years ago. We still think well, prices are going to be around the $100 mark probably through 2023 as well. Um, and that's partly um, because of the constraints on supply. A lot of the um, OPEC producers don't actually have the capacity to meet their targets. Um, and so even though OPEC is kind of increasing production, um, you know, nominally every month, um, they're not actually able to meet their, their production targets. So, um, you know, I, I don't think we should be thinking about a, a sharp decline in oil prices at all in the near term. So, you know, when you look at what is going to potentially drive the non-oil sectors in the UAE next year, um, as you mentioned, tourism has been um, a big factor both in the recovery in 2021 and also what we've seen year to date. Part of that is due to um, the expo, which helped to, to bring people back to the UAE in particular. But I think more importantly, um, you know, the, the big, um, the long haul markets hadn't really reopened until just a few months ago. So we're starting to see a normalization in travel um, from the Asian countries, from Australia, uh, New Zealand, and, and across into Europe and, um, and the rest of the world. So I think that trend continues. We certainly are not back at pre-pandemic levels in terms of um, visitor numbers to the UAE or passenger traffic through Dubai airports. Or in fact, when you look at the, the figures from IATA for global um, air passenger traffic, we're still very far off the pre-pandemic level. So I think there is quite a, uh, a period of, of adjustment that still needs to happen and recovery that still needs to happen. So I think that will certainly underpin growth. Um, and then even though we are expecting household consumption to slow, um, I don't know that it's necessarily going to contract. So it, it probably just won't grow um, at the fast rate that we saw last year. Um, but overall, I think consumers are still in a fairly solid position. Um, household balance sheets, certainly in, in the United States, um, are a lot healthier than they were pre-pandemic. People have savings um, that they've accumulated over the last two years. Um, they've obviously had, um, you know, stimulus checks and things. So that's helping to maintain spending, even though prices are rising and, and the outlook is deteriorating. And then in our region, of course, we've got investment. And I think this is a really important um, factor, which many other countries don't have and won't have the luxury of seeing because the GCC countries will be running budget surpluses um, this year and probably in 2023 as well. They probably are not going to be increasing their budget spending in, in terms of wages and salaries or general uh, consumption. But what they will be looking at is how they can deploy this oil windfall um, to achieve their medium and long-term strategic objectives. So diversifying the economy away from oil and gas, investing in projects that they want to see um, develop and grow over the next decade. Um, and I think that kind of investment will help to offset some of the softness that maybe will come from uh, the household um, and consumption side. You mentioned there the, the oil windfall, and it's rather unexpected. I mean, they couldn't plan for this, uh, uh, the policymakers in this region. Um, and yet they were planning for a world in which maybe oil prices remained low for a long time. And they enacted a lot of reforms, UAE, um, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, other economies. Um, and I wonder if even if oil prices do level off a bit next year and, and beyond, that non-oil 
has has got this kind of inbuilt resilience now and 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 dynamism that might keep growing no matter what's going in the oil markets. I mean, is what's your view in terms of of kind of the medium term outlook for for non oil sectors? I think um, over the last several years, I think GCC governments have recognised that they really have no alternative but to push forward with the diversification strategies and programs that they had uh, put together for the next 10 years. I think even with this year's oil windfall and even if oil prices are high in 2023 as well, there is a a recognition and an understanding that this is not a permanent situation. This is uh, a windfall, right? And ultimately, the world is going to be moving away from oil and gas um, and more into clean energy and renewables. And so, you know, if, if the GCC wants to be able to uh, continue to grow in you know 30, 40 years, then it needs to be able to do that without having to rely on oil and gas proceeds to fund that growth. Now, in that context, structural reform is absolutely key because what you would be doing by enacting these reforms, and the UAE has, has already seen um, some of the benefits of the reforms that they've put in place over the last couple of years, is that um, the the private sector and foreign investment is then the main engine of growth. But in order to attract that, you've got to improve the business environment. You've got to set up the legal frameworks. You've got to make sure that it's easy and understandable um, for people to navigate um, setting up businesses, moving to the country, um, bringing you know unique skills and, and capabilities that perhaps aren't here in a meaningful way. You've got to attract that. And Structural reform is is the only way you can you can um, set yourself apart and and make yourself an attractive destination for that kind of investment. So I, I believe that um, those kinds of reforms will continue to to move forward um, because there isn't really an alternative in you know in order to achieve the the goals that have been set out over the next 10, 20 years. Khatija Haq from Emirates MBD, thanks so much for being with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. Thank you, Kelsey Warner. Thank you. Uh, All that remains to thank our production team and you all for being with us. Please do join us again next time.